0: and a half left for the lead of the last home, Serpentine still by 8 to 10 lengths over Khalifa Sat, Oran, Naveen Mogul and Kamiko. and Serpentine is not stopping he's made it all, he's out clear all the way, it's 6 or 7 lengths still and Serpentine for a remarkable win in the Investec derby, Khalifa Sat maybe second, Oran, Naveen and English King running on, third and fourth probably, Kamiko down the outside
1: Listen, he was 25 to 1, not 250 to 1. But Serpentine's performance was, whichever way you look at it, one of shock and awe as he demolished his rivals in an extraordinary edition, a one-off edition of the Investec Derby. Derby 241 will be debated, was debated long into the small hours and will be debated for many days to come. And we love that about horse racing, don't we? Hello, Welcome to Luck on Sunday. Hope you enjoyed yesterday. This is an amazing sporting weekend for the city of London and outside with all the delights of Epsom yesterday and the brilliant performance of Love Not To Be Forgotten and, of course, Enable today at Sandown Park, more of which later in the programme. We've got a packed show for you through the next 90 minutes. So we'll be talking to Connections of Serpentine. It was a record-breaking eighth victory in the Investec Derby for Aidan O'Brien. And what a win for Emmett McNamara, who is en route to Shanty to take the ride on Fort Myers in the Prudu Jockey Club this afternoon. We're hoping to connect with both of them very shortly. We'll also be talking to the man who rode the second. He could have ridden the fifth English King at one point. Frankie Dettori ended up riding that horse. Tom Markwin got the sit on Khalifa Sat. He beat English King. Khalifa Sat finished an excellent second. We'll be talking to Tom later in the show. It was a momentous day for John Quinn yesterday. Safe voyage giving him a 1,000th career winner. He had Liberty Beach running in the charge at Sandown this afternoon. So we're going to take a while to check in with him at his Molten base. Huge weeks racing ahead of us because we've got the July Festival at Newmarket. And we'll be talking to Sheikh Salman uh, from Bahrain about Golden Horde, who is one of the leading contenders for the July Cup. And later in the programme, shortly after 11 o'clock, I'll be joined by the Chief Executive of the Betting and Gaming Council, Michael Duggar, with the publication of the House of Lords Report and reforms to the Gambling Act round the corner, if Michael and his colleagues have their way. Delighted to be joined by Neil Channing. Neil, your quick reaction to... to the Derby yesterday, an
2: extraordinary day. The first Derby I ever watched was Slip Anchor, mm-hmm. and uh, that was uh, five to two favourite. so nobody really cared that that just kind of blasted off in front and we never got to find out whether the others were uh, good enough or stayed properly or did the various things that we debated in the run-up. That's kind of the only problem I have with it, is that I find it a bit unsatisfactory. in I've. Spent weeks and weeks and weeks wondering, will this horse stay? What about this one? What the ground, the draw, whatever. And I feel like I didn't find out the answers to all the questions (laughs) because so many of them, you know, were still out the back of the telly while the trophy was being presented. Well, one of the reasons
1: why you didn't find out the answers was because, as the sectional times have told us, the winning rider, Emmett McNamara, gave the horse such a well-judged ride. My immediate thought was, good horse, good horse. Very good ride, another extraordinary piece of judgment from the jockey who had been given so much confidence by the trainer, as he said to us in the interview afterwards, trainer Aidan O'Brien, a record-breaking eighth victory in the Investec Derby, joins me on the line now. Aidan, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Nick. Uh, We've got you loud and clear now, which is fantastic. Congratulations on a record-breaking eighth Derby win. Congratulations on the Oaks win with love as well what I found most striking yesterday was Emmett McNamara saying how much confidence you'd given him that this was a horse who could win the derby. Do you do you always say that to your riders? Do you try and fill them with confidence even if in your heart of hearts you think, well, this is a bit of a long shot?
3: I know. I suppose, Nick, we, we wouldn't be running them really unless we really thought that they could win. Uh, obviously, when when you'd have um, four or five runners, they'd all go into the race, maybe some of them with different profiles, but we would know that the back Background to their profiles, and and obviously, um, they be always uh, very well bred horses. Obviously, most of them by Galileo, and then out of those like unbelievable mares. So, but look, like, we obviously would believe that they all could win. And at the at the start of every, uh, uh just before every race, we we talk to everybody, and everybody gets instructions that would suit that their horse to win the race. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Most times it doesn't, as you know. But um, um, that's the way we approach every race, really, Nick. I know you're
1: a a, a huge student and always have been of of time and the way that horses expend energy through gallops and through races. I've seen you work at Bally Doyle. At what point in the race, Aidan, did you think they're not going to get him?
3: Uh, Well, I I suppose, listen, you're never sure. Um, He was very comfortable where he was, and and, uh, he's a horse that stayed very well, and he was very happy to make the running, and uh, and he he, he got to the front nicely. So, so, um, like um, I, I suppose uh, we watched the race uh, all together, and Donica and said to us at halfway that he thought like everything was going very well for for uh, Emmett, you know. So um, like we knew he, he wasn't going to stop. He he, he ran twice at the Cora this year, and and both times he galloped straight through the line, and and and. Um, is uh, the first day and Wayne the second day said he he couldn't pull him up like he went down to the boards, you know so and obviously he's from uh, a great pedigree and obviously by Galileo so we, we felt that he like he wasn't going to stop anyway but unless someone was going to come and get him if it was possible but um, uh, he, his work had been very good all the time this year in the spring and it was lovely last year as well but he was just a horse needed a little bit of time.
1: You've got this tremendous group of of support riders that you can you can use when you're running four or five in a race. You've got Ryan obviously and, and Jamie Heffernan, but then you've got this group of support riders who are such a big part of the team. At Bally Doyle. How do you go about deciding, say, Emmett rides this horse? Do you try and suit the the, the jockey to the to the rider? How does it how does it work out?
3: Yeah, sure. I suppose obviously, uh, and the lads all know the horse as well, and. and uh, um, um, like they'd be riding and work the whole time, so the they, they lads all work in groups uh, with all the horses every day. And um, they, they, listen, like you said, we have like an unbelievable team of riders, and 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 listen, like we would think that they're world class riders, you know. So and obviously because. Uh, um, the way racing is we can only give so many uh, riders uh, rides on a daily basis but even though the lads mightn't be riding on the track on a daily basis they're riding all the work and it's often an advantage because um, when you're riding in lesser races the tempo is different so they're used to riding those horses work at that very high tempo so when when they go to a big race it like it's normal for them you know so Sometimes in in the lesser races, the the tempo is too slow for for a lot of those horses, and you yeah. never get into it. So they they find it very easy, they adapt very quick. But listen, they have unbelievable experience, and like we're very lucky to have them.
1: So do you prefer it in a sense that the poorig beggies and Emmet and those home jockeys, if you like, you'd rather they were at home at Ballydoyle doing all that fast work. They're more used to you like that than they are herring off around the country riding. Sixty-five, seventy-rated
3: horses. Ah, oh, yeah, no, we're delighted for them to do that anytime they they, they ever want to or or, or can. Um, but it, it, like like what I'm saying, is it's definitely not a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, um not to be riding it. like when when they're used to those horses at. at working at the tempo that they're working, when they go to a big race, like they, they find it easy um, and it's, it's no change to them, you know, but um, like really what I'm saying, it's not a disadvantage if they're not riding uh, um, every day here and there, uh, really.
1: Because they're, because they're sufficiently talented and they've got that experience. You had other horses run very well in the race, Oren Naveen stepped up massively and, and ran a, a huge race in third, again he was well positioned through the race. What did you make of some of those in behind Mogul and, and
3: Russian Emperor? Yeah, no, we we were very happy around Naveen is right, There's only a second run this year, and from a maiden, and that was the. The maiden at Leperstown, where all the good horses came out of, so like that was an incredible maiden. Uh, we, we were very happy with Mogul, we, we were worried that we wanted two runs. We knew he'd yeah. made a lot of progress from Ascot, and, uh, and, and he did, but he, he, we, we felt that he was going to make it again. So it's the next time we're going to be looking yeah. forward to him. He's, um, Aiden, he's
1: an absolutely gorgeous looking horse, Mogul. I thought he was the pick of the paddock by an absolute mile. But he is he. I, I wondered to myself as he was walking around the paddock, is he a horse that naturally carries a little bit more condition, or, or, or was he absolutely bang on?
3: Yeah, no, he has that constitution. Nick. He carries, um, but but that because he carries, and uh, he's like one of those horses with those big heart and lungs. They they often take an awful lot more work to get him there, and like we threw as much work at him as we could uh, without without breaking his heart and and uh, and without uh, taking away the, the pace. You know, so racing was the only thing that was going to bring him. So we felt that he had came a lot, but was going to come more. So yeah. uh, you, you're absolutely. But he's like he's a beautiful, big, powerful horse, and he's made like a mile or so. Um, no. He's going to be something to look forward to, we think.
1: So I, don't, I don't want to detract from Serpentine. I feel a bit mean saying that, but do you still think that he could end up, be, uh,
3: the mogul could end up being the best of the lot? I, listen, we always thought he was very nice and, and we still think he'll progress the next day but I, I wouldn't take away anything from Serpentine like he, he, he'll go out there and like you can follow him if you want and if you don't follow him you know what I mean he, he won't be coming back so he's obviously a, like a seriously talented horse um, with an unbelievable engine like to go that pace even and keep going and he, he wasn't Wilton you know so um, listen it, it's the, the, the Derby um, and like the Irish Derby the Epson Derby It, it we all know what kind of route the horses are going to go. So like, it's going to be uh, very interesting to see what comes out of it. But uh, our guess is that a lot of good horses are going to come from the, those races.
1: Well, you're now fully loaded in the three-year-old middle distance division because you've got the Irish Derby winner, Santiago, who I loved last week. You've got this horse who was super yesterday. You've got all the horses in behind. And you've got Love, who was absolutely spellbinding. Um, is Love the best of the lot, do you think?
3: And she's uh, she's obviously an exceptional Philly. Um, like Ryan was like exceptionally impressed with her. Um um, after and, and everyone has been here uh, Wayne rides her our no work and Stephen rides in our candies and Chloe when, he, when he's not there but everyone that has always rode her has been exceptionally impressed with her and we were a little bit worried going to the guineas was a bit tight for her and then when we saw what she did in the guineas like we were like we were like we were very happy because we, we felt stepping up from a mile she was only going to get better to a mile and a quarter and, and then you're never sure whether to get a mile and a half but like uh, Ryan said there was absolutely no, no stop at all like she was she, she she ran right to the line, right to the boards again. So like she's incredibly exciting, Nick, really.
1: Yeah, I've got to say she she took everyone's breath away yesterday. Four and a half lengths in a Guineas and then nine lengths in a in an oaks. What race would you love to win now most with her?
3: Um I suppose that the like we, we kind of take one race at a time. What happens is always they come home. We see how they are. Um, the lads ride them out for a few days, and and then like Jamie will see how she is in the yard and uh, how he's feeling, and then we'll have a good discussion with the lads, and they'll and then um, we'll see. Um, uh, Chris will find out what races are are available for her and what what our options are. Um, uh, Jennifer will watch all see if all the things are back or weights and and everything, and then then we'll have the discussion and see um, we, we see what race the yeah. lads want to go to, really. Like it's, it's, it's really race to race, and we try not to pick a race and go to that. We try to get a horse and then pick the right race for the horse rather than the race that we would like to win, if, if you understand what I mean. So, and, and the lads decide that all the time, the time themselves, uh, Nick.
1: And, and there was talk yesterday of her maybe trying to emulate Oso oh Sharp and winning the Phillies' Triple Crown. Is that something that... Is that something that you're excited by potentially? I understand what you were saying about not getting ahead of yourself, but is that concept something that would excite you?
3: Uh, yeah, no, sure. Obviously, uh, Ledger's a great race, and we always try run good horses in it to win it every year. But it's a difficult race to win. Um, I, I suppose you have to see like what way we want to go with her. Like, if the lads want to go to an arc, it, it it might be a bit tough for a three-year-old filly to take in the Ledger on the way to an arc. Or this and then there's the Breeders' Cup races there this year, and like they're they're worth an awful lot of money this year, you know. So so all those things have to be in account, and I suppose the lads mightn't want to uh, uh, to drain. Her out uh, at that time of the season, but like they, they will make the decision and see what they want to do. But um, I, I suppose like she's won a Guinea's and an Oaks now, Nick, you know, so I don't think she has too much no. to prove to anybody really. No. well, we know that. And then are all the horses okay this morning? All good, all uh, walked out, and all seem to be in very good form.
1: And just going back to, to Serpentine, obviously the normal route for him would have got, gone Epsom, the Curra. Now, now with a topsy turvy season, you've got these two. Good, strong, staying Derby horses. What sort of is what sort of target is the likeliest for them next? Or uh, uh, serpentine? Is,
3: is it uh, Nick? Yeah, serpentine and/or Santiago, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So I, I suppose um, we'll see how serpentine is. Um, um, John will check him out the next few days and see uh, um, see whether he's ready to go again or not. Um, but I, I suppose, listen, the King George is coming up, but we have maybe we might have some older horses mm. for that. And then I, I suppose you have to you could look at the ledger with some of them, and then some of them might uh, need a little a little rest for a while. And then I suppose we have. Goodwood that horses can go to as well, you know. So I think it's all very in- open. But the, like, like I said, the autumn is full of big, big, high-class, middle-distance yeah. horse race now. So we just have to be a little bit conscious that, like, when we have them, have the horses there to kind of give them a chance to freshen up and be ready for the autumn. So, um, uh, listen, I suppose San Diego was always possible that he could go to Goodwood for the, the Goodwood Cup, but we, we'll see how he is and, um, and on the way to the ledger. But maybe that will be too much now after running back a week after Ascot, so we, we'll see how he is. But I think all those races are open to, to them all, and the lads will see what they want to do, um, whether they want to go to King George or whether to let some of the older horses go to King George instead.
1: I can't let you go, Aidan, without asking about Japan this afternoon, because it could complete a memorable weekend for you. Uh, And now, if if Mogul is a horse who needs a a race or two to put him sharp, does the same apply to his year-older full brother?
3: Yeah, we yeah we thought um, that there was a chance that he could get a little bit tired in Ascot, and he did. He was a little bit slow away, and and uh, Ryan just had to get a position on him, and it probably cost him a little bit at the end because he was he was uh, he was needing to run a little bit. But but Ryan was delighted with him now in 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 Ascot, and we've been delighted with him since. Um, so we we think he has come forward since since. Um, um, Ascot. So we're looking forward to seeing him run. Obviously he will stay further than a mile and a quarter, but we're looking forward to seeing him run now today and he seems to be in good form, Nick.
1: Aidan, thank you very much for your time. Many congratulations. Just, just before you go, has the magnitude of eight derbies and breaking the record and having the record outright sunk in? And indeed, does the record, is the record important to you?
3: And I think it's it's great for everybody. Everybody puts in a lot of hard work for for those days to to, to happen. And- for those horses and the pedigrees and everything. I think everyone gets an awful lot of pleasure out of it. And, and like, we really love that when everyone like, feels, um, f- f- feels a, a sense of satisfaction, I suppose. And that's what, that's what we love, when, when everyone else has, has that feeling and, and then it keeps everyone going on to the next day, you know. So um, it, it's, um, no, like, listen, it's great for everybody, Nick, really.
1: Aidan, thank you very much. Well done. Pleasure. Thanks very much,
3: Nick. Aidan O'Brien, who scored
1: his eighth Investec derby yesterday. You take it for granted, don't you? But it yeah, is absolutely, pretty yeah. remarkable.
2: There was a lot in there, wasn't there, actually? Sometimes when you hear him, you know, you get a lot of uh, the lads uh, that listen and you know, you don't feel like you've learned all that much. The team have all done great and everybody's brilliant. But uh, I thought that was really interesting, actually. That, 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 I mean, from an Ascot boy point of view, uh, I've always thought that the King George has kind of lost a bit of luster in the last kind of ten years or so. Not up. last year. Uh, no, no. I mean, there's been some great races, but like, it, it's, it's not as much of a race that... People don't talk about the King yeah. George as being a big target anymore. Uh, and maybe with the season all changing around this year, you know, some of the pattern is different isn't it and you know whereas the course could easily be plotted in past years you just know it's going to go to the eclipse it's going to go to this it's going to go to that now they have to think about it again because they're all in a different order so uh, that's interesting i like i like to feel that the king george I mean, I thought, I mean, what do I know? But, the, you know, I'm not uh, plotting the, the horse's targets, but, you know, the way that horse won yesterday, I would have thought, oh, you know, what, are you going to run it in next? Yeah, the King George, it makes sense. Uh, but that's kind of the way it used to be. The Derby winners used to go to the yeah, King but George. of course you've got all these big international prizes at the end of the well, season. Well, that was funny uh, as well. I yeah. thought that was funny because he's sort of saying, oh, yeah, the lads will be worried about the prize money in America. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they're all scratching around well, behind the well, sofa for a few quid.
1: Well, you say that, but there
2: was a point <laughs> made this week about how, how valuable all the French races
1: were relative to ours, believe me these, yeah, things, yeah. these things do not go unnoticed <laughs> Second yesterday was Khalifa Sat super run, big price, 50-1 to ridden by Tom Markland who picked up the ride fairly late in the day, uh, Tom joins us now Tom, well done yesterday
4: Morning Nick, thank you very much it's, um, yeah, he, he obviously outran his, his rather large odds and, and put up a really tough performance, it was great to have that as my first spin round at the Derby
1: I, I'm going to play the clip in a bit Uh, of Asheen talking about the race yesterday from his point of view. At what point were you very conscious of of Serpentine perhaps slipping the the field and really getting away?
4: Yeah I mean obviously I was sort of sat sat second um, for what ended up being the whole of the race. Um, But coming down the hill I mean obviously you know it's such a such an important part of the race uh, as to how your horse handles it and to be honest with you I think um while while the leader was slipping away down the hill I was pretty conscious of the fact that I wouldn't have been able to go a quarter of a stride quicker down the hill else I'd have fallen in a heap um coming into the last couple so while while I was very aware of what was happening there wasn't there wasn't an awful lot of um uh, steps I could take to really peg take the leader back at that stage of the race um but I think you know, I, I don't think we can take anything away from Serpentine. He took, he took what would nearly have been 20 lengths out of us going down the hill and never missed a beat. I mean, he didn't even change legs going down the hill uh, to keep his balance. He just skipped onto his left lead, scooted round, took the, took that, took the race away from us all. And um, and yeah, I mean, it was sort of, it was game over from there on in. Uh,
1: there were so many column inches written about what horse you might ride and end up riding in the derby leading up to the leading up to the race when you got down to the post and got into the stalls, were you able to put that behind you and just get on with it?
4: yeah i mean I, I think a, a hell of a lot was made of it all um, because it was a derby favorite in in English king and you know I think it, it, it's something that happens to us all on a daily basis. But I guess just not as on a higher profile as, as it did yesterday. And you know, I I've, I'm lucky in the fact that I've always found it easy. As soon as as soon as you get on the back of the horse, everything else becomes irrelevant. You know, you're not you're not thinking about another horse in the race. Had the choice of riding or didn't have the choice of riding and got taken off, or it, you know, it all becomes relatively insignificant in the fact that you're riding your horse now and and you can only you can only ride. Ride one horse in a race to the best of its ability and, and try and try and do as best the job as you can.
2: And, and
1: Tom, did, were you conscious at any point in the race a, 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 as to where where Frankie Dettori might be on English King?
4: Um, well, I mean, I, obviously they were all behind me, so it was only a case of guessing where they'd all be. But you know, having having um, Frankie and Mogul drawn low, I, I, you can you can only sort of try and preempt what what is going to happen. And I guess. I guess the race, the, the race in behind the actual race happened as everyone thought it would. Um, By the fact, certain time sort of got out of front and skipped away.
3: Tom,
1: thanks so much for talking to us. Well done yesterday and looking forward to, to seeing Khalifa Sat next time.
4: Not at all. Thanks for me on. Cheers, mate.
1: Thank you. Tom, Tom Marquand who, who gave...
2: Uh, Kalif has had a pretty good ride, I think. He's He's been very good the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing, actually. I mean, I, there is a whole little kind of coterie, isn't there? Of, mm. You know, every time I... Fl- I hate to say it, but I do sometimes flick over to the other channel just to quickly watch a race and come well, I back. I do on a regular basis. Uh, and it's always like Tom Marquand or Holly Doyle are just always just passing the line in front, and then I turn back again. Um, <laughs> do you mean they don't win on this channel? <laughs> I don't know. They tend to seem they to be will. at Yarmouth and Lingfield they quite a will. lot. They, they win um, they win plenty on here,
1: as does Asheen Murphy who wrote <laughs> yesterday. This is what Asheen Murphy uh, had to say.
0: Hi everyone, uh, there's obviously lots of speculation about what the jockeys, uh, including myself and everyone else, was thinking when Emmett McNamara went out in front on Serpentine. Uh, I can obviously only comment on my own thoughts through the race. I broke really smart. chemicals uh, an intelligent horse. He, it was like he felt like he was still going a mile in the guineas. So I spent the first 400 meters uh, trying to get him to relax and drop the bridle. I slotted in behind Max Vega uh, after about 600 meters and I thought the tempo was okay. Um, we didn't go that fast along the top but on a horse that was stepping up in trip um, by half a mile I was keen to conserve as much energy as I could. He went around on a loopy rein. Emma McNamara, on the winner, was kind of getting a freebie in front, but none of us were going to make a mid-race manoeuvre, having got into the rhythm of a a mile-and-a-half classic race. I thought I was okay, uh, rolling down the hill, kind of six to run. Obviously, I'm hoping the horses in front might stop, it was apparent coming round Tatnam Corner, uh, when I went inside Harry Bentley to save ground, that we were very well strung out and the bird might have flown. Uh, Cameco is a very good turn of foot, but when I initially went for him, there wasn't much response, and by the time I picked up my uh, stick to give him a tap, the horse wasn't going any faster. Um, I'm speaking completely off the field. I haven't seen the sectional times, but I'm sure it'll back up that Kamiko's slowest sectionals, um, are definitely the last two furlongs of Cameco's race, weren't very fast. Uh, it's a bit frustrating that the order of the race didn't change that much. I have huge respect for Khalifa Sat, who obviously I know from Andrew Baldings. I've ridden him plenty at home, but I was disappointed that I couldn't make up any ground in the latter stages of the race on him. The bottom line is, I feel Cameco doesn't stay a mile and a half. Uh, We'll definitely be coming back in distance. Uh, I hope I haven't let anyone down. I did my absolute best.
1: Sheen Murphy. And that was his immediate snap reaction, as he said, which he posted to Twitter last night, which got understandably an excellent reaction because it was good to hear from him and hear his thought processes on the race. Angus McNay joins us now. He's been analysing the sectional times that were provided to us yesterday here by Racecourse Media Group's uh, tracking partner, Course Tracks. Uh, Captain, how are you?
5: Hello, Nick. Very well.
1: Yourself? Yeah, good. First of all, congratulations on a very confident shout for Love in the Oaks. I'll come to her in a moment. Is Asheen Murphy right in his immediate assessment? He accepted the fact that he'd not seen the times.
5: Uh, About Camico. Well,
1: yeah, and about the way the race was run.
5: Yeah, it's a very interesting race this year, Nick. really is interesting. Um, The idea that Serpentine just got an easy and got his own way out in front is not necessarily legitimate, really. Uh, If you're going to afford an advantage to any horse, it shouldn't really be an unexposed Galileo trained by Aidan (laughs) O'Brien. And there's there's obviously, obviously, he's a very good horse. I think he's a legitimate winner. What happened in the race, if you look at the figures, Nick, is that they went quite evenly in the early part of the contest. Now, they they jump at the bottom of the hill. They rise 38 metres to the pinnacle, if you like. He established a bit of an advantage. But I think at that point, when they reached the top of the hill... Uh, with about seven to run, everybody was happy. I think the jockeys had got positions that they wanted. Ocean was where he wanted to be. Ryan Moore was where he wanted to be. And they were all completely happy. But what happened was that the winner kicked going down the hill. Mm. And if you look at F7, the seventh furlong, 12.88. Yeah. 8. And look at all of the others in the race. 13.16, 1, the runner-up. 13.48, 13.48, 13.30. Nothing dipping under 13 seconds. He kicked there, and he maintained that momentum down the hill. If you watch the video as well. He gives, gives the horse a slap down the neck coming down the hill. He's kicking on whilst going downhill. Other jockeys are trying to get their horses balanced, fill them up so that they'll come home strongly, and while they're doing that, he's away and gone. So whilst everybody was happy at the top of the hill, he's kicked down it and gone and established a clear lead But the figures also show, Nick, that he has paid for that. He fired the slowest final three furlongs in the field. Every single horse ran quicker in the last three furlongs than Serpentine did. So he paid for kicking down the hill, but he got such an advantage that he was able to hang on.
1: Which horse had the roughest trip when you look at the sectionals? Which horse had the most inefficient race?
5: It's probably... English King and Russian Emperor, they fired the fastest final three furlongs. And what happened was, if you go to F10, that's where horses and jockeys went off in pursuit of serpentine. The panic had set in at the 10th furlong, 9th, 10th furlong, thereabouts. That's when they were realising he'd gone. And English King ran really fast there, really fast through that furlong, and fast in the 11th furlong. And he paid for it thereafter in the closing stages. So I think he's shaped really well according to the sectionals but he was disadvantaged by the run of the race.
4: Uh,
1: Angus, I at the risk of at the risk of um, incurring the wrath of my producer. I would love to I would love just to have a quick look at the start as regards English King. Here, look yep. at stall 1 here Angus. People who say the draw doesn't matter in the derby. Look at this. Look at what English King does. He, he goes left nick, doesn't he? Dives he goes- down to the left. And Frankie's left in a horrid position there because the race is developing out wide, and that's where the pace is. He wants to then tuck in behind a sensible horse, get some cover. Well, the sensible horse is Mogul. Well, Mogul doesn't tow him anywhere near into the meat of the race. And suddenly, by the time they get to the top of Tatnam Hill, he's got Ryan Moore on Mogul just sitting in front of him, and he's got uh, Mythical to his outside. And you could see Frankie several times trying to angle out from underneath Mogul, and he just couldn't. And I think, yeah. for me, he's three lengths further back here than he ideally would like to have been. And that is because of that start, because he dived yeah. left at the
2: start.
5: That really happened, didn't it? I mean, he, even if Frankie wanted to go off in pursuit of Serpentine, uh, he couldn't. Um, he just couldn't, couldn't get out. He was stuck. But I don't think any of them wanted to go off in pursuit of, of Serpentine. And none of them could get past Khalifa Sat, who sat second throughout the race.
1: Yeah and none of them could get past Aura Naveen, who sat third throughout the race.
5: Exactly, exactly. So what, what, I think what we learned from the numbers is that Emmett went, he went an even gallop early on, and then he just kicked down the hill and established just too much of an advantage.
1: So therefore, would you say, in terms of how good is the horse and how good is the ride, would you say, fairly decent horse, very good ride? Would you say, good horse, brilliant ride? How would you, how would you describe it?
5: Well, overall times are obviously really important. We love looking at sexuals, but overall times are important. 2.34, 43 was his, his winning time, and that is a good overall time. He is a good horse. He's a very strong stayer, I think. I think that's his main asset. He's a really strong stayer, and he was given a, a really clever, intelligent ride.
1: So clever, intelligent ride and a good horse. Where do you think this horse might land up?
5: It's hard. It's hard to know. He's had his day,
1: hasn't he? he's had his, he's had his glory day, but yeah. is there he's more? A, is there a, more there?
5: Yeah, no. I think I think this was this was his day, really. He'll he'll never get he'll never get a setup like that again. They'll never let him let him do that again. They'll never let him establish an advantage and, and kick seven, eight, nine lengths clear. That just won't happen again. So he's going to have to prove himself to be um, more versatile if he's going to beat uh, the likes of um, his stable companion Love, which he'll never do.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just wanted to give you the, the opportunity for this last minute or so to, to eulogise about love. Oh, God, she was good yesterday. Nine lengths to go with the four and a half length win in the 1,000 guineas. Now, the opposition may not have been great in the guineas. They might not have been world beaters yesterday, but she was absolutely brilliant.
5: She's a world-class superstar, Nick. There's no doubt about this. Her final three furlongs was 34 5 36-31 for Serpentine, she was rolling home in the Oaks really fast. But not just that, the last seven furlongs of the Oaks, she was quicker every single furlong than Serpentine.
1: Look, the, blimp, the blimp can't even keep up with her, Angus. <laughs> she,
5: next, she kept grinding out these fractions. It's unbelievable. 12-75, then she went 11-93, 11-25, 10-95, 11-09, 11-16, 11-79. That, that is ruthless, remorseless stuff from an absolutely brilliant, brilliant filly. Our overall time was quicker than Serpentine as well. It was run, the race was running a contrasting way to, to the derby. Of course, there's, there's a pacemaker in Passion who went off far too fast and went quicker fractions than Serpentine earlier on. Um, but love was, love was absolutely brilliant.
1: Do you think she'd be enabled uh, over a mile and a half now in receipt of the three-year-old allowance?
5: Well... Rumor has it that um, these sectionals were shown to Enable last night,
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> and
5: she did not
1: sleep very comfortably. <laughs> well, she's got to pass a test at Sandown Park this afternoon as well. Just give me your thoughts on what's going to happen in the Eclipse. Uh,
5: I think, I think if, if Enable's going to be beaten this season, it'll either be by Love or it'll be, or it will be because this isn't the main aim. The arc is the main aim down the line. And she's facing uh, race fit and classy rivals in Gaeth and Japan. Um, So I think this could be the day where uh, her colours colours are lowered this season. But um, I think it will only be because it's her first run of the season and she's coming up against uh, quality race fit rivals.
1: 11 to 10 this afternoon. Enable for the Coral Eclipse live on Racing TV. 94 Gayath, 92 Japan, 18 to 1 Regal Reality and 20s. And bigger the remainder. Captain, thanks so much. Pleasure, Nick. Thank you. That's nice. I like that. That Um, was great,
2: actually. The one thing that struck me uh, that Angus was talking about, the time at which he felt like the other jockeys woke up uh, to the fact that Serpentine wasn't really stopping uh, in terms of they suddenly ran their quickest. And that was, uh, I think he said F7, Uh, and that's interesting because I was looking obviously at the Betfair in running market Yeah. uh, and actually you know people probably criticise the jockeys after the derby and say well what the hell were they all doing they were all asleep Uh, but it, it feels to me like the jockeys looking at those sectionals they spotted it quicker than the gamblers on Betfair. Yep. Now the Betfair market is supposed to be all efficient, it's got the, the wisdom of crowds, yep. thousands, hundreds of thousands of minds, all smart minds putting themselves together to say, you know, what's going on on whatever the event is. And in the do. Derby, the time at which uh, Serpentine went odds on, and this is just from memory and obviously I haven't, you can't watch back the, the Betfair market in running in the way that you can watch back the race. Uh, but I think that uh, Serpentine flipped to odds-on coming out of Tatnam Corner uh, uh, between the four furlong pole and the three furlong pole. Well, it's before that that the jockeys uh, on English King and Russian uh, Emperor are waking up and thinking, oh my god, I'm on a horse that definitely stays and this one's gone clear. I mean, Simon Holt, who has called so many big
1: races Mm. and so many derbies, tone, the note in his voice rose quite markedly between the four and the three. He knew they weren't gonna
2: come back well, they that weren't gonna that back. was I think the four the three and a half furlong is where the Betfair market suddenly went, Oh, oh. my god. Yeah. This is, this is the well, winner. Well, if you, were, if you were sharp enough at that point to get
1: mm. ahead of the curve and to back Serpentine <laughs> in the run and, and, and fill up, you'd have been cheering when he passed the post, but not as loudly as my next guest. Eric McNamara, father of jockey Emmett, joins me on the line now from County Limerick. Eric, of course, a great trainer in his own right and has produced some hugely talented um, stock of, of his own. Connor, his uh, jump jockey son, and, and Emmett now his derby-winning uh, son, uh, Eric, congratulations! You must be a very, very proud man.
6: Absolutely, Nick. Yeah, yeah. It should look, it was just a marvelous day for the whole family. Obviously, we'd love to be over there, but due to all the restrictions and whatever we want, so there was myself, my wife Paula, and my two daughters, Kate and Erica, and, and little Donna. We were all together, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. Well, we're very, d- very proud of him.
1: I want to get a sense of. I want to get a sense of the four of you watching the race together and, and what what you were saying to each other as as Emmett made every post a winning one.
6: I think I was quite confident because I, I had been t- talking to Emmett for the previous couple of days and he was quite confident about the horse and you know Aiden had said to him you're writing one horse in the race that will stay a mile and six. Don't be afraid to try and get to the front if you can at all without going crazy, and if you do, let him fill him up between the 6 and the 5, and let him freewheel down down the hill, and um, Emmett had great confidence in the and we watched him winning in the Coral last week, and Wayne Lord said he couldn't pull him up, so we were confident that Emmett was, actually had a very, very good ride in the race.
1: Tell, tell me a little bit about about Emmett over the last few years. We, we know he was a, a brilliant apprentice rider. He's a, a very bright guy with a, a first-class degree in accountancy that he, he's just ac- accomplished recently. Uh, tell me a little bit about him as a, as a character and a, as a sportsman.
6: Uh, I suppose very, very dedicated, you'd have to say, first of all. He puts his heart and soul into it. Uh, fr- from the very start, he, he went corny riding. Uh, he rode 65 winners in, in, in a season, and that's just in summer holidays and he took the all-time record off of Norman Williamson that held it for over 20 years. And Emmett has still held that. Like the right 65 winners in the horse and racing is a great start to anyone's career. Then he was very lucky. He went to Joe Lyons's. He ended up being champion apprentice. And he got heavy, I suppose you could say. And um, he, he lost his way, a small bit with regard to the race riding. He went to Aidan O'Brien's. And he's always just been waiting and hoping to get the the dream that he might get on some of these horses in some of the big races. And he grasped it with both hands when he when he got the opportunity, you know.
1: And this comes, you know, hot on the heels of, of finishing second in the Irish Derby at the Curra last weekend as well. I suspect you thought that that was a that was going to be a crowning moment for the season.
6: Well, absolutely. I suppose when he came so close, you just think to yourself, it's never again going to happen. Um, and with all the restrictions, we didn't think for a second that he'd end up going to ride in the English Derby and ride in the French Derby today, that he'd be at home. And the chance for another year is gone, but uh, things changed. Down in Ballyd Island, they decided to send over some their jockeys and um, he got the opportunity and he took it. So that was, that was fabulous. Now, it really was the amount of people that have been texting and ringing and congratulating and, you know, that... that, that TV, the two races in Ireland, the various the amount of people that were wheeling Emerson. so it was, it was a great
1: day, a proud day. A, a hugely proud day, I, I'm sure, and, and for you, steeped in, in horse racing, you've trained many great winners, you've had some wonderful days either side of the Irish C. as I said, you've watched your, your other son, Connor winning, winning many big races, and he's, he's got a very promising career as well, but yesterday, just as a, as a, as a family, what did, it, what did it mean to you all?
6: Uh, Listen, I think, you know, we've been probably lucky enough to have won a few decent races in my time. But I think, yes, there was just um, a really crowning moment, a proud moment, a day we will never forget as a family. We were all together watching this, and um, we got some kick out of it, I can tell you. It was just wonderful, wonderful.
1: Eric, it's so, so lovely to talk to you. Uh, many congratulations to, to, uh, to Emmett, who I, I'm hoping to get on the line, but it's quite hard to track him at the moment because I know he's on his way to Shanti to ride, to ride Fort Myers. But um, to all the McNamara family, many congrats.
6: Thank you so much, Nick. I really, really
1: appreciate it. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you very much. Uh, absolutely top man, Eric yeah, McNamara. Super
2: trainer as well that was really good wasn't it yeah yeah I I wondered I, I was I was gonna jump in and ask him but I it's, he was too excited anyway but I wonder at which point they just thought that's it he's what it now you know like there there was definitely a point where you go from thinking he's he's gonna be or you know he's gonna get be swallowed up to hang on a minute this is this has gone too far in front Uh, and it's you know everyone has a different way of looking at that in in terms of the you know earlier talking about um and uh, you know he's being quite critical of him a little bit critical of himself really considering i think think he was just gutted well he's gutted i was going to use the word gutted
1: and then i pulled it back when you used
2: it for me well he is gutted i mean he's on a you know he's on a five to two Mm -hmm. favorite to win the derby i think that that was a fairly mad price wasn't it i I, I just think the the balding team just know how
1: good that horse is i think they know that he's a stone better than khalifa sat a brilliant a brilliant horse but
2: obviously yeah. not 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 a mile and a half horse so you know like you, it's hard to criticize him for you know wanting to wait and come late with his doubtful stare uh actually when you go through and you look at all the horses that were a shorter price than serpentine uh, most of them had a doubt about the trip, apart from Russian Emperor and uh, an English uh, English King. And you've yeah. already highlighted the the draw that, that really didn't help English King.
1: Neil, I need you to clear the runway for a second because the oh, next play, no, the next no, no. I love having you on this program. Oh, d- d- my do you need mother, me to get out? My mother's friend Deirdre, who lives about five doors down, if you're not on the program, she's very disappointed, and I'm if she's watching now. There you are. You have one one confirmed fan. So I need you to clear the runway because the next plane's coming into land and in it is the man who who trained his 1,000th winner yesterday. Uh, That 1,000th winner was the hardy and very talented 7-year-old Safe Voyage. And the man on the line is his trainer, John Quinn. John, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Nick. Uh, what a special day for you and a special day for everybody yesterday with Safe Voyage. I knew you were approaching a thousand. When, as I said to you, you know it doesn't work like this. You, they don't read the script. You'll get it in a claimer at Wolverhampton. But he did read the script.
7: Yes, yes, he did. He was um, he was very good. He was very good. They went very quick um, and quick, and he he warmed up well. And um, when he when he met the rising ground, he um, he lengthened and quickened, and um, he's a great horse, really.
1: He's been an an amazing horse for you now for for, for several years, and the ground was just just okay for him, John. Yes. Um, Just just in terms of of his well being, has he come back okay?
7: He's fine. Um, He was fine this morning. Uh, One could tell he had a race. Um, um, But uh, he's sound, and uh, that's the main thing, so we'll just look forward now.
8: Um,
1: John, is there a telly on in the background there? Yes, there is, yes. (laughs) Can I just get you to turn the volume down on the telly? Yes, of course I can, yeah. It's like those old. Um, it's all like all those old talk radio shows that we grew up <laughs> I mean, I that better. we grew up listening to. Perfect job, absolutely perfect. Um, obviously, you couldn't be there yesterday, but Ross Harmon, the owner of this horse and the owner of the great favorite El Astronaut, was there. How yeah. much did it mean to you that that you got the landmark with a horse in Ross's colours? He's been a great supporter.
7: Whoa, yes, I mean it's it's. I'd have been delighted if it was, and you know any of any of the people who've supported us down through the years. But Ross um, has been a great supporter and. Um, he takes the, the the good with the not so good equally um, same and it's I was delighted he could go racing because I think it's terribly important that owners can go racing and uh, see their horses um, in the flesh and watch them run and so I, I, I was delighted for him yesterday.
1: And how how your your yard are in terrific form? How how has sort of morale been since the resumption? If you like, has everyone kind of picked up a little bit?
7: Yes, I mean well you know we're we're delighted to be back racing you know it's 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 our it's it's what we do and um, um and everybody has worked terribly hard in the yard we um we just kept going i was hoping racing was going to resume every week any week so we kept the horses going um uh, uh, which i'm very pleased about um so when racing resumed they were very fit and they were ready to go and um, so I'm pleased about that. But the mor- morale in the air this morning is great. And you're, you're only as good as your owners and um, the invaluable staff that keep the whole industry going.
1: Uh, I, I think we would we would all echo those sentiments. Uh, John, when you started out training in the in the mid 90s, yeah. could could you look much further than the than the first winner? Or did you set yourself big targets and big numbers?
7: well. well well, as you know, my sh- my son Sean is a bit of a statistician. So he said to me one day, Dad, you train two winners your first year, you train one one winner your second year, you train four winners your third year. He said you train thirteen winners your fourth year. So I hadn't in in the first four years we hadn't trained twenty. But having said that, you know it's we started off with two horses um, and myself. Uh, I was the trainer and the the rider out there, and that's the way a lot of lads start. And um, you know we kept going and. Going. we were, we were always waiting for the, for the good horse to come along which eventually did come along but but we had to wait but um uh, you know it's something i enjoy and um we, a lot of people go to work in the morning and they, to 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 make ends meet whereas you know, people like myself in racing we 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 really enjoy what we do now not all days are great but you know it's it's nice to get up in the morning and go to work with, and to, to to looking forward to something you you enjoy you know
1: well, yesterday was a great day. Today could conceivably be one as well because you've got your very smart Philly Liberty Beach running in the charge, the Coral Charge at Sandown Park. It looks a, a, a spicy race as well for the, for the grade. How's she come out of Ascot?
7: She come out of Ascot fine. Um, uh, I was obviously delighted with, it, with her at Ascot um, and you could tell she had had a race. I mean, you're never going to have an easy race in a group one. But um, the last 10, 12 days, we've been very happy with her and she's had a good spring to a step this week and uh, I'm very happy with her but uh, as you as you have said it is a spicy race um so we're hoping for a big run there be there'll be plenty of pace anyway
1: and, and if there was one race for her that you think has got her name on it I know you're going to have to take on Batash in all these five furlong races mm-hmm. but if there's one of those really big races that you think that is tailor made for her which would it be
7: um I think I'd have to go between the, the Nunthorpe and the Abbey obviously the Nunthorpe is, is in our backyard as to say and you know uh, a fellow who trains up here would love to win the Nunthorpe but um, the Nunthorpe or the Abbey and if I could if I could twist Philip Wilkins arm um, the Breeders' Cup this year is run uh, where is it run Nick? Keeneland, Keeneland now that would suit her because you can. You, you know the ground shouldn't be rattling uh, round the bend, she'd be fine, but, but but we'll take one step at a time and uh, Nunthorpe stroke um, Abbey.
1: And you could take El Astronaut out there with her and he could he could, he could
7: could kick on and give her a lead? Well, uh, she mightn't catch him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How's he doing, the old
8: boy?
7: Uh, he's in very good form. I mean, I had the two of them in this race today and obviously well, I would have run them if I, if I had to, but I didn't necessarily have to run them and uh, so we thought the filly would be better suited today and he is going to the Kura in a couple of weeks' time um, for the Sapphire.
1: Excellent. We look forward to seeing him. He's been a splendid servant to the art, as has Safe Voyage. John, many congratulations. Chat soon.
7: Thank you ever so much, Nick. Appreciate that.
2: Luck on Sunday.
1: Proudly sponsored by Albasti cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. Hope you've enjoyed the show so far and I'll look back uh, on the Derby, and a few key points raised about the betting industry from Neil Channing, prescient as always. I don't know whether he persuaded my next guest to sing on the show, I will find out a bit later but we've got important matters to discuss between now and then because he is the Chief Executive of the Betting and Gaming Council, Michael Duggar former Labour Party frontbencher. Michael, very good to, to see you here and, and thanks, for, thanks for coming in.
8: No, not at all, thanks for having me.
1: It's, it's important times round the corner isn't it, with a gambling act not too far away and today, writing on, on Politics Home you've urged the government put no finer point upon it, to get on with it. Get on with their review. Uh, why so? Well,
8: we've seen quite a number of reports in... Uh, I was going to say in recent months and in recent days. Um, So I think there is very much a live debate as to what the future regulation of gambling uh, should be, and we really think it's time to get on with it. We'd welcome the opportunity actually to have that review and to engage with the government. Um, We want to do that for the hundred thousand people who work in our industry, but also make some of the points about um, how can we make sure we get as safer gambling as possible. The BGC was set up in november last year to be a standards body and new standards body for the industry um so the work that we're doing on safer gambling is absolutely front and center to what we do um, we're getting on with that right now in our own way but also we think in terms of uh, working with the government we'd like to feed into their review uh, and we've got to get this right as well because I think there's always critics of the industry, always have been, and sometimes the industry has deserved some criticism, but I think we've got to make a distinction between those who, frankly, are just anti-gambling, and some people always have been, but more importantly, those that do have genuine issues and concerns, and I think it's important as an industry we uh, engage with those people and we address those. And I think the uh, review would give us a perfect opportunity.
1: You were quite positive in in your in your note today about the Lords report, saying that you felt that it yeah. was offering constructive criticism. What are the key takeaways, do you think, for the gambling industry to, to 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 act upon from from what the
8: House of Lords has said? I was impressed by the Lords report because unlike some other reports. I thought it was um, a substantial, thoughtful piece of work. Um, We didn't agree with every recommendation. Um, We did agree with many of them actually, and we think they uh, are worthy of being looked at by uh, the government. But I was most impressed by the fact that they said we've got to strike a balance between how can we make gambling safer for everyone, how can we address the issues of problem gamblers. It may be a a, a tiny minority uh, of gamblers, but it's really important because for every single problem gambler that has a terrible impact not just on themselves but on their family so we have got to do more in that area but also recognise that look for nearly 30 million people who have a bet on a regular basis they do so, the vast majority, perfectly safely and it's about getting the balance right between good regulation that deals with some of the issues but also protects the right of people to enjoy betting uh, in a safe way. So what did you agree with? well i think the ombudsman is uh, an idea i think whose time has come i think you've got to get the details right but i think that would give some some redress uh, for for consumers so a
1: gambling industry ombudsman how would that work
8: well that'd be something for the government to work out and there's and there's Quite a lot of different suggestions, but I think having some kind of ombudsman to give further protections for consumers um, and to deal with some issues in the past, I think, would be uh, a positive um, thing. And um, that
1: would be a government—that would be a government-supported, yeah. government-backed ombudsman rather than rather than an in yeah. independent situation, which we've got at the moment.
8: Yeah. So that and that would be something very much for the government to decide if it wants to go down that direction. But I think we're open-minded um, to that. Um, also, I think the way that it, it, the report dealt with the economic contribution that the betting industry makes to UK PLC you know I th- think that's something we shouldn't forget about the industry pays over three billion pounds in in tax you know in these uncertain times for the exchequer that is uh, money worth uh, worth having uh, the employment it brings the enjoyment it brings as well this is part of our culture to have a bit millions of people like a bet millions of people don't and that's okay too but millions of people do and they should have a voice in this uh, in this review and of course we've got to avoid and this is really important, unintended consequences. So we've got to think through uh, proposals and to say, look, what impact would they have, for instance, on sport? What impact might they have in terms of racing or other sports? You heard... um, concerns voice this week from the English Football League who were talking about the impact that say an advertising ban uh, sponsorship mm. ban might have for lower league uh, football clubs um, so all of these things we've got to work through and it's really really important to me again going back to our commitment to safer gambling which is we don't want to get the regulation wrong so that it drives punters to the illegal black market offshore online operators that prey on uh, on punters through kind of platforms online. They're not doing the age verifications or the other checks or the interventions on problem gamblers or advertising safer gambling. They're not doing anything that the regulated industry is doing and there is a danger I think if we go too far that we drive uh, consumers and gamblers to those uh, rogue illegal black market operators.
1: How well do you think the regulated industry is doing in terms of promoting their own product? How ethically do you think they're promoting their own product at the moment?
8: I think it's a work in progress, and I think we've achieved great things. So when people have got concerns about advertising, the whistle-to-whistle ban for all life sport that we introduced has seen advertising fall by 84%. Now, the House of Lords said there isn't conclusive evidence at all that there's a link between advertising and problem gambling, but we recognise there's a perception issue, and if people think there's too much advertising, well, that was one way that the industry dealt with it. Isn't it about how
1: many younger eyes you are getting on on quite out-there alpha aggressive gambling advertising during that period. You're getting a lot of underage people watching at that time.
8: Which is why we got the the whistle-to-whistle ban before the watershed. Mm. We also took the decision during uh, the the lockdown to ban gaming products uh, adverts on TV and radio. That's a decision the industry we took um, ourselves and now that we are coming out of lockdown we've said that at least 20% of all our advertising should be uh, safer gambling adverts. So I think the industry is making progress. We've got uh, work that we're doing now on sports sponsorship, we're looking at game design. You know, if people have got concerns about certain games online, could you uh, change the design of those games, slow certain games down? Uh, so, and so, so
1: that would be essentially an online equivalent of the reduction of the FOB T stake size.
8: It wouldn't just be stakes, because there's, there's other things you can do. It's about the speed of play. Mm. So one of the things that I think is not easily understood um, in relation to online gambling but is... It, but what I'm
1: saying is it's taking away your ability to just, just... Pour money in, hand over. Fit. And just to do what you want. I yeah. mean, and
8: in terms of encouraging deposit limits, uh, affordability checks, um, the the thing that online enables you to do because of the data that you have, you can have stronger um, identity and uh, age verifications. You can intervene directly, and operators do all the time. I and mean, we've closed tens of thousands of accounts um, where we've intervened on players. You can monitor play and spend. So one of the things we said during the lockdown, if a player is playing more and spending more than they normally do, mm. there can be a direct intervention. There can be a text message, an email, uh, they can receive Safer Gambling messages direct to them. So actually the, the data technology is our friend here when it comes to Safer Gambling.
1: And we cannot dismiss the concerns of those who are anti-gambling, um, Carolyn Harris, Ian Duncan Smith, to name two prominent MPs, because at heart they've got people's mental health in, in their best interests, at heart, that's what they—that's yeah. what they believe in. So you have to, presumably, persuade those parliamentarians that there are aspects of, of having a bet that are not only enjoyable but perfectly legitimate.
8: And sometimes with some MPs, and I, I don't blame them for this at all, i spent a number of years with them, if they don't have a bet, then they don't know much about this. And, and why would they? They've got you know, other more important things to be worried about. But occasionally, you know, we had it with the virtual Grand National, which I think everyone thought was a great success and raised all that money for the National Health Service. And I had a couple of MPs writing to me and saying, uh, you mustn't take any uh, data from anyone. Well, of course, we've got to do some basic data checks if you're betting online, it's really important for exactly the reasons that people like yeah. Ian and Caroline are dentista. You've got to find out if they're 18 or not. You know, these are very basic things. So occasionally we see this in policy. You know, the whole problem we've got with Scottish betting shops at the moment. Somebody said last week, it, it looks as though the regulations have been introduced by someone who's never been in a betting shop. Mm. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have about actually talking to people about the reality.
1: Uh, ju- just in terms of uh, the perception of, of having a bet, Bruce Millington wrote an interesting piece this week, I don't know if you saw it, where he, he, he drew a distinction, drew a, a sort of philosophical distinction, if you'd like, between gambling and the way gambling is perceived by society and having a bet and the intellectual challenge, such as it is of having a bet, particularly on a sport like horse racing, but also on football or whatever else you want to have a, have a bet on. Is that something that you would like to drill down into a little bit more and try and exploit the difference between the, having a bet and gambling as this sort of great big sort of societal evil
8: well, people say, I mean, a lot of it, it is, these are issues of perception, I recognise yeah. that. And so, uh, there's lots of people who but would say they... But is this something they,
1: you'd, like to, you'd, you'd
8: like to play like I think the review provides us, as a country, with an opportunity to actually talk about these issues properly, in an informed, in a grown-up way, and have an evidence-based discussion. And that's all we're asking for. So, the number of people you met say, oh, I don't gamble, and then you say, do you play the lottery? Oh, I play the lottery, yeah. I don't gamble. Uh, Or you know, I don't like gambling. I like bingo, but I don't like gambling. Okay, Um, so there's all that sort of stuff that goes on, and people are always surprised when uh, I mean the APPG, a lot of the parliamentarians who are critical of gambling, completely got the number of people who gamble in Britain wrong, and they got it wrong by a you know over 10 million. So I think they underestimate the kind of scale that for for millions of people it's just what people do and for the vast majority of them they do it safely now does that mean that we can't do more to improve safer gambling absolutely not we need to work really really hard as an industry but with the government with the regulator and others and sport to see if we can drive further improvements in standards, but we've got to make sure that we get the balance right in all of these things. To whom
1: is your responsibility, Michael? Is your responsibility to the bookmakers or is your responsibility to to society?
8: I think it is in the interests of all of us, whether it's the industry, whether it's the government, Uh, whether it's sport, like racing, uh, or whether it's society as a whole, that we get this right, that we get regulation that is fit for purpose, uh, that does protect the most vulnerable, that does um, drive higher standards in terms of safer gambling, but also that protects uh, the ability of the industry to provide what is a perfectly enjoyable and perfectly safe experience for the vast majority of people. I think we'll be able to do that as part of the review. I hope so.
1: What, what, From your personal perspective, what do you think the major bookmakers at the moment in terms of their marketing and advertising can do better and more responsibly? How would you like to see them tailor their, their campaigns to make, to make betting a better space?
8: I think it is work in progress and it is ongoing work so uh, the BGC I think has helped to hasten a lot of that um, work but I see it all the time, some of it is more advanced than others, we've made a lot of progress uh, even in very recent weeks and months on on advertising, game design is something that we're working on, there are uh, work that we're doing with the regulator so uh, restricting VIP schemes as they're called uh, to... Cause that, that's
1: a, especially in the racing yeah. industry that, will ta- that takes a lot a lot of
8: heat. It it, and it does across the board. Yeah. And that's why I think um, putting those restrictions um, that we strongly support in terms of under 25-year-olds I think is is important work. Is there more that we can do in some of these areas? There always is. And I think some of what we can do ourselves as an industry, some of it the regulator can do uh, to us and with us, and some of it, though, I think will require changes from government. And frankly, you know, the whole thing, it slightly reminds me of when I was a kid in the 80s growing up in, in Doncaster, there was Look North, BBC Look North would cut to this hotel on the cliff edge in Scarborough for days on end that was gradually falling into the sea Mm -hmm. and we would all tune in every evening to see if another bit of the conservatory had fallen in yet and I just think there's a constant pounding against the gambling industry and now I understand where that's coming from but I think we do have to take a step back and have an evidence led approach I think the review would provide a really good framework to do that because we have got to get all of these things right so when people I've seen campaigners in recent weeks talk about having a £5 maximum stake on sports betting well, you say to guys who are having a bet on the Derby, they can't have more than the £2.50 each way. You know, it's about affordability and about responsible gambling and well, about making sure it's, it's safe. But be, these kind of arbitrary they'll, they'll be, limits. There'll be
1: people at home now sitting here saying, hang on a minute, I tried to have more than £2.50 each way, but I keep getting knocked back. And, then, and that, is, that is clearly a, a key area of the industry which year on year yeah. gets more and more um, focus, and quite rightly, more and more criticism. People cannot get a bet on. Is 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 customer relations in that regard within your remit?
8: It's for individual operators to um, deal with customers. You know, uh, they are their customers, and but surely, be...
1: surely, it's better in gaming so you trying to trying to engender a sense of trust between and loyalty between client and sure. uh, and bookmaker
8: is is very important, isn't it? but operators have got to be able to take decisions in relation to customers uh, based on uh, the information they've got the evidence they've got and you know to be honest Nick we get criticized for not intervening nearly enough It is a refreshing change to come on and be lambasted for for being too heavy-handed with with punters so operators have got to make those has got to make those judgments that's about a consumer and and a provider Uh, that's not something for the for the standards body what we're interested in is we want to... But um, why
1: is it not something for the standards body? The standards body is supposed to be holding your members to the highest the highest possible standards.
8: But if there are individual circumstances that I couldn't possibly be aware of about a particular customer... But when it's it's not individual
1: circumstances, but when it's it's policy, it's about broad policy, it's about trading policy and policy in in how you deal with your your customer base, and that which has undoubtedly shifted through the last decade and a half. is, is that not is that not within your remit to try and, to try and present a more a more positive view of the betting industry? You need yeah. to have you need to have people who bet trust the industry.
8: Yep, and I think that is absolutely uh, central to our work in driving safer gambling standards. I have to say that, you know, I just don't get, in terms of BGC, I'm sure individual operators get, but I don't get, as the kind of uh, standards body for the industry, a lot of people knocking on my door and saying this is, you know, a huge problem for, for, for huge parts of uh, customers here. I can appreciate, for some of your viewers, they'll be thoroughly annoyed about that, and I can only say they've got to take it up with the operator or try a different operator. In the regulated sector. But um, we've got massive challenges uh, we face. I thought the Lord's report, I thought some of the things it said about racing were very good, um, but about the contribution uh, that we make to that sport is something we've got to protect. But equally, we're fighting on so many fronts. So this issue in Scotland is going to be a really growing issue yeah. for Scottish racing. So you've got this nonsense whereby. You, can't, see a race you a basic can't, we can't sit down, which, you know, I know the Scottish government talk about standing up for Scotland. I think it takes it a little too far. But you can't, you can't sit down and you can't have the TV on. Now, south of the border, you can. Now, the issue is about restricting numbers. I understand that. But how do they restrict numbers in other parts of high street retail in Scotland? Well, they just have a, a, a maximum in terms of who can come through the door. And that happens throughout the whole country. But uh, we've talked to operators this week. There's been a 90-odd percent fall in, uh, in revenue. They are making betting shops in Scotland simply unviable. And that will have an impact. I really worry about that in terms of Scottish racing.
1: Uh, Michael Duggar, thank you very much. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastia Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the program that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.